0: Before we do anything, let's get a couple of things out of the way. Very important to let you know that the Let's Go Eat Show is created and produced on a PC laptops computer. New computers starting at just $7.99. PC laptops. We love you. Thank you, Dan Young. Uh, Also, the following podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Broadway media, its management, or its advertisers. And also, it's important to let you know. That the following podcast definitely will contain nudity, adult language. Sorry, adult language, definitely.
1: Yeah,
0: all right. Uh, we're gonna be talking to Charlie Halford, he's an actor, he lives in um, uh, LA, and uh, he's an actor. He's been on the show, uh, Lucifer, and he's been on a show, Constantine. uh, Constantine, and he was skunk in a Disney movie. What more do you need to know except that he's from Salt Lake City and uh, he's a vegan. And he has a movie he has a movie in theaters this weekend uh called uh, Bad Times at the El Royale uh, and it looks to be a very interesting movie and also he's got a very weird story to tell about halfway through I think yep it's a very weird story about one of the weirdest stories we might have ever heard on this it's couple about 100 episodes it's about how he craved attention so much well that's it You'll, you'll just have to hear him tell it himself. All right, here we go. Oh, and thanks to Casey at uh, Zest once again for being a great host. Here we go. Charlie Halford on the Let's Go. I should make sure this is off, too. All right, you can go ahead and roll anytime. We've been rolling for six minutes. Oh, well, we can, right. we can just go. roll that stuff in there. It's so fine. Charlie Halford is our guest on the Let's Go Eat Show. We're at Zest, which is one, it's interesting. It's one of our favorite places to come and it's because they're very accommodating here at Zest right here on West Temple, uh, between what, second and third South, uh, West, uh, no, not West Temple, miles. second West. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, so we said to Charlie today when he was here at the, in the studio, uh, you want to be on the Let's Go Eat Show? Yeah, sure. Uh, what do you like to eat? I'm vegan. Zest, and you've been here before.
1: Yeah, yeah, this is a regular haunt of mine when I'm in town. Uh, they've got a really good,
0: fresh menu. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when you're in town, because usually you are in Hollywood, L.A., yeah. do, you,
1: do you live in Hollywood? No, I avoid Hollywood probably probably more than I try to get there. Yeah. Uh, I live in like Van Nuys in the Valley, um, working class neighborhood. Yeah. Um, got a house with a yard and a dog. Yeah. So I try to have a some semblance of a quiet life in uh, in Los Angeles.
0: So we should, okay, well, we've got to tell people who Charlie Halford is. A Salt Lake native, uh, born here in uh, the 80s? Yeah,
1: 1980. Cottonwood, Cottonwood Hospital, which is different now. It's like, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know. It's not a hospital yeah. I go to. I think it's now the Intermountain Health. Uh, it's the, yeah, it's, it's the really big one down by Murray Park. But yeah born okay. oh 1980. that one.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, now it's the uh, yeah, it's huge yeah uh, and uh, and you went to Cottonwood High School. Correct. Did, were you a now Charlie were uh, is is an actor a working actor in California in Los Angeles uh, wh- So when you were in high school what, when did you th- what did you think about acting?
1: Um, you know, it, I I don't even know if I still think about it. I, I, uh, I fortunately got direction, I guess, early on. Um, the first acting, I guess, official acting experience I got was in eighth grade. That was the first year we were allowed to take drama class. Um, and at that point I was already kind of acting out a lot. in. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Charlie? Oh, and all my other, like, oh, to put it plainly, I was getting Fs in pretty much every class. Not a good student. Not a good student. And then I took a drama class, and I got an A for basically the same behavior. Um, acting out. <laughs> acting out, yeah. yeah. And that felt pretty good, um, and it was right on time because uh, ninth year was coming up, and that's high school. So you are. what school were you in in junior high? Bonneville Junior High. Bonneville, okay. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, I knew that the grades started counting in ninth grade, and so fortunately, I, I you know I kind of started getting my act together right when I started getting my act. So together. So you are
0: telling people that you can be a fuck up until through all throughout the eighth grade and get away with it because it doesn't mean shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, as long as you have a yeah, yeah, just keep your eye on the prize. Mm-hmm. Know that it matters a lot once you hit ninth grade. Then you got to try. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was really that simple. It was like if I wanted to drive, then I needed to have. A three So not only did I get my shit together, is that what your your parents said? Well, yeah, because it, it was like a uh, it was a car insurance break, like a good student dri- uh, car insurance break. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did that. I just barely, and I did just that. I eked out a three <laughs> Through, in ninth grade, mm-hmm. through uh, from then on, yeah, um, gonna...
0: yeah, and did, uh, Dylan's uh, the producer of the show. He's it's Dylan Allred. He's the producer of the show. He's not related to me. No, not at all. No, no. I say that for his protection. Though. Okay, not you know. Uh, just we just he coincidentally has the same last name. That is as I coincidence. Know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, let me. So you grow. You're growing up in the Cottonwood area. You have siblings.
1: Yeah, I'm the youngest of four.
0: Okay, your parents just. What do they do?
1: Um, my mother worked for uh, DCFS. She was also an Avon lady. She DCFS worked- is Department uh, of Family Services? Yeah, Children, Children Welfare mm-hmm. uh, Services. So she worked for the state. My father was a bit of a character. Um, good good guy, very charismatic, always had a good story. Uh, wasn't around too much. Um, so, But when he popped in, he was fun? Yeah, but everybody <laughs> yeah. liked him. Yeah. <laughs> he was a very funny man. <laughs> yeah. A uh, very, very enjoyable person. Mm-hmm. Um, you say was, not... Yeah, yeah, he passed in 2004. Uh, but fortunately, for me at least, uh, it was kind of a slow-go. Like, he had leukemia and died uh, mm-hmm. with com- from complications of all that. Mm-hmm. But for those developmental years, I mean, if you do the math backwards... Um, that puts, that puts him getting sick right about 1994, right about eighth year. So he was around. He got to see my productions. And oh. my older siblings didn't quite get the same, you know, sort of. Uh, he, when he had his health, he wasn't around much. And yeah. and uh, I, I got a lot more father, uh, which I'm entirely got, grateful you for. You had now. a relationship with him that your older siblings didn't yeah. have. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think through that, me and my siblings have... have Bonded in his wake in in a strange way as well. So it's a it's a, it's a cool family, super supportive, and um, y'all get along and all of that. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and yeah, if you knew me as a kid, you know, this is that's a huge achievement <laughs> the fact that the fact that you know they, have, uh, they still like you, that they still like <laughs> yes, that they still accept me, <laughs> and uh, that we can get along.
0: Well, well, I mean, what you you were uh, not a. You are not easy to get along with?
1: I think I was just, yeah, I think I was just, uh, you know, rambunctious. And I got, you know, I got into stuff, you know, substances and things like that kind of early on. And mm-hmm. um, I don't, you know. Scrapes with the law? Fortunately, I didn't accumulate much of a record, but a lot of my friends weren't so lucky. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's that's been a lot of my life is sort of bearing witness, and I use it a lot on my work now, um, just sort of bearing witness to to the rough side of things, and I've always sort of walked to the edge and looked over without ever, yeah, you know, going there probably much to my, you know, maybe my mom gets credit for that too, she she mothered me with, you know semi-light hands with a lot of trust which, I don't know where she got it from, because I didn't have a there wasn't a lot of reason for that, But but she always trusted that I'd be okay and I always was <laughs> so uh, she was uh, uh, maybe that came from she knew
0: she knew what you were like because she worked with if uh, she worked for the division of
1: yeah. child and family services she knew what kids were like sure and I well and I think that there's also you know um, she's just a very you know patient woman and um, I think I think my father was a lot the same way when he was when he was in his final days I, I sensed a lot of almost regret from him about how he, he he maybe should have perfor, uh, pursued the arts you know he always chased business and money and i don't think that was his strong suit um, cuz he had a, a magnificent pen he was a great visual artist i also dabble mm. in in the arts he mm. could, he could carry a tune he was mm. a very talented guy mm. and i think you know he, but he was always he was always like 50,000 dollars next month rather than 500 bucks this week and, yeah mm-hmm. um and fortunately you know Uh, He got to see me start finding some success in it, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, before he went, before he passed, but... uh,
0: Um, That eighth grade production that you were in, uh, so you're in a drama class, who was the teacher? Oh, man. Do you remember who it was? Uh, No. Man or a woman? It was a woman, yes, and I feel so... She she nurtured you a bit?
1: Yeah. Well, well, she just, yeah, she just, uh, my first... Drama teacher. I mean, she. Yeah, she just let me go. What was the production? Do You know, Johnny Appleseed. Uh huh. Sure. And, and, and it was a it was a musical, and I played the grandpa because it was the non singing part, and I was terrified of singing. So, mm-hmm. I tried to do a production before that of uh, Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. and I was supposed to be a Munchkin. And now, keep in mind, I'm about a head taller than everybody in my class. Like throughout my life,
0: how tall are you now?
1: Six. Seven, if I yeah. you know, if I'm having a good day, six six on, mm-hmm. you know, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but I bailed on The Wizard of Oz, uh, like the week before we went into production. And there's another, actually, an actor in town here, Nathan Stevens, who who does a lot of work, and he's one of my dear friends. Um, and he was my munchkin dancing partner. <laughs> and I totally bailed on him like a week before the production. And so he was the one munchkin up there dancing by himself. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I felt that bad. That must ab- have been lonely. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I know, awkward. But, but uh, yeah, I felt I felt bad about it. Uh, and he was, you know, uh, he went on and was Johnny Appleseed in Johnny Appleseed. Um, and, uh, and then we ended up going to Cottonwood High School together. His older brothers, the Stevens brothers, are... Um, Another, you know, if you pay attention to the acting community here, you definitely know of uh, the Stevens brothers. Um, And so he had this sort of legacy. In fact, Cottonwood High School kind of had a legacy of... uh, A lot of actors came out of there? A lot of actors uh, came out of there, and they just won everything. Mm -hmm. There was a woman uh, named Joan Hahn, uh, and she really built a, uh, a drama department at Cottonwood that was bulletproof it was amazing and they had the biggest auditorium i, I imagine that auditorium still yeah up there as far as high school auditoriums go so the production value of their musicals were massive for a high school production and she left the year before i got there and uh dr Corey tuckness uh, took over the department and in her stead we sort of bared the responsibility of Uh, or bore the responsibility of keeping this legacy going. And Dr. T, as we called him, was was great. That's
0: pretty impressive to have a a Ph.D. running a high school program. Yeah,
1: I think he was the only one, really. And um, at least in the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he had come from College of Eastern Utah, Uh which is where uh, myself and a lot of the... The flock of actors from Cottonwood inevitably ended up going um, to to further our education, but but it was just a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. and and not a lot of pressure. The only pressure was like, look, don't let me down. Um, and the other thing that he really instilled, I don't know if he meant to do it or or if I just absorbed it, was this is entirely up to you. I'm not. You know, performing the play with you, so so he would block it out. He never gave a lot of performance direction. Um, he would let us discover. It was just show up on time, have respect for the work, and then whenever we would go into production, he he didn't. I don't think he watched one production with an audience. So it was entirely our show hmm. when when we showed up. It's an and, interesting approach. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom in it. I think, uh, in terms of especially with developing actors. Uh, because it really is, it's going to be you, it's going to be you your whole life. You're going to work with a lot of different directors, but but if if you don't individually have sort of the work ethic... Um, yeah, I think I work
0: director- with directors like that who would only give you performance advice mm-hmm. if you asked for it. If right. you said, I can't figure out how to do this. Right. Then they'd say, well, why don't you try sitting down on that line? Right. Well, I think but They I'm- wouldn't give you even an interpretation, they'd just say, well... Why don't you move over there and see if that helps? Right. Or,
1: you know, well, working with directors has, has become a really interesting. I mean, you know, it's it's something that I think only experience kind of can can help you navigate. It's not an easy thing to just kind of like intellectualize because some directors, one of the best directors I, I think I've worked with is a great actor, is Ray McKinnon, who did uh, Rectify. And yeah, I um I
0: got into that that series um why did i get into watching that because it's it was really low key and uh just kind of off the radar for most people yeah yeah, yeah. most people will not know what the fuck you're talking about when you say the series called rectify mm-hmm. oh i think i read a read something about it in the new yorker right some a reviewer in the new yorker said if you haven't watched this you're there's something wrong with you this is crazy this is a great show so i started watching it and you were in it
1: yeah and that was a really interesting experience as well because I think like everybody else, I didn't really know about this show. It was on the Sundance channel. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I kept working with actors that were involved on it. And it's rare. I mean, actors tend to be proud of the work that they do, but it's they loved this show. Yeah. I think the first, uh, I think it was Abigail Spencer, I was, I was here working on a film called haters and uh she was in that she was and really good she's 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 great um she's great in everything and uh and i spoke with her for a moment and she mentioned this show rectify and how amazing it is and uh yeah, I, you were only in like the third season or something the, right or? yeah the four i think it's the fourth season the final season of it mm-hmm. um and uh and so it was just you know you log it and you go okay that's cool and then I also for many years and probably in the future will as well work uh, at the Sundance Film Institute which happens down at the the Sundance Resort every summer mm-hmm. which is a great film program that helps develop I mean it, I I believe Paul Thomas Anderson came through there yep. I, I think Quentin Tarantino may have even come through there I think so. Um, Taika Waititi, who just did... Thor Ragnarok came through there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Fukunaga, who did True Detective and just did Maniac, that's now on Netflix, came through. I mean, it's a, the, like the list of of directors that are amazing, that come through that program is staggering. And uh, uh, that's actually where I met Carrie, which eventually would lead to True Detective. But but uh, I, I worked with Clayne Crawford there, who was also in Rectify. And then uh, J.D. Evermore... Is another one of the cast. Anyways, this, these, the cast kept saying, oh, this amazing show Rectify. this amazing show Rectify." I was like, I got to watch that, I got to watch that, I got to watch that. And then the next thing I, I knew, I, there's so many thousands of productions out there. Yeah. The fact that this came down the pipe was just incredible. And I'd already started watching it and was in love with it. And that's a- another interesting, I think, challenge as an actor is as much as I want to say, you know, I'm unfazed and I just do the work. It's like mm-hmm. in a show like that, where the lead, uh, played by Aiden Young, yeah,
0: what's, is, it, what's his name again?
1: The actor's name's Aiden Young. The character's name's Daniel Holden, and uh, and he plays this f- just delicate, razor thin, you know, just this beautiful performance. Um, and it was an interesting challenge when I went to work on the show because I knew him, you know, and and like I mean, I knew him from the show. I knew the character, but my character wasn't supposed to. Know him at all? He was just, and so that was an interesting... It's, it's it's interesting to to be in something that you're a fan of. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's not something that you get to experience in the theater. That's a very TV uh, specific sort of problem. Let's go back to um, let's go back to
0: uh, high school and mm-hmm. uh, so you go to Cottonwood High School. This big theater that's built for musicals. Did yeah. you learn to sing and do musicals?
1: I, I eventually did. Um. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't You think- like them. I do. I do. I, I and I think developing my voice is something that I'll continue to do. I never put that much concerted effort into it. But but um, I did musicals through high school because they were the most fun, really. And I, I was a fan of musicals. I love them still today. Um, but it wasn't until I was like 21 and going to bars and you know there wasn't a lot of acting work that was giving me my fix and so I got a little bit of performance fix I think from karaoke <laughs> and that's sort of where uh, I yeah I, I would say I learned to sing quite a bit just <laughs> just in a bar in a bar yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, what's your
0: what what's the first dramatic role you remember doing on stage that you that you just went oh okay okay this is this is what this is what I want
1: to do with myself. Well, um, in my, my senior year was a good year. Um, and I at that point, competitively we'd done some stuff, but, but uh, we we were going to do of mice and men. I think Doctor T saw what he had. He he you know he he we had a, a kind of male heavy. Uh, group and he had a really big guy who who could hang you, me, and um, and that was really special because for 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 I guess numer- numerous reasons. One was uh, that's required reading in junior high, so I knew the story. So I knew, you know, I, I'd read the book and now I'm reading the play. That was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the uh, Steppenwolf guys, John Malkovich and Gary Sinise, had had just released. They're of Mice and Men several years before, so there was this on-screen adaptation of their award-winning production of, of Mice and Men. And as a big, dumb guy, <laughs> I sympathized with Lenny in a way that uh, was pretty profound, and seeing as how he's, you know, uh, you know dis- disabled or mentally challenged. Slow. He's slow. Slow, yeah, I'm not sure the right, he's slow, that's yeah. probably the right word for it. Um, there was a lot of characterization to that. And at the time, being kind of a punk kid, I don't think I took it as sensitively as I would now. You know, like like there's an honor in playing something other than, you know, like there's just a certain responsibility to that. Um. Now, uh, uh, hang on there for a second.
0: I think you hit, you touched something there that's pretty, That's I think is really delicate and pretty, pretty profound. Oftentimes when you see someone portraying uh, a, a person who is mentally challenged mm-hmm. or has, you know, a disability, a mental disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's, you, you, well, for instance, you're seeing more and more people uh, with Down syndrome playing people with Down yes, syndrome, and which I is think beautiful. That's, that's terrific. Yeah. But you'll see people, for instance, when Rosie O'Donnell played that character what was it called? Riding with my sister on the bus, or something mm-hmm. like that. And I think it was Juliet Lewis, and and it was horrible. Yeah, you know, it was just horrible because she's just playing. I'm not going to play a person yeah. who's who's mentally challenged. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know, and it was just dreadful. And you see that all the time. of a mimic, it's a mimicking mm-hmm. of it, and it's and it just give, makes your skin crawl. Sometimes people hit it and they right. do it right because. Because it takes a sensitivity, a, an understanding, I think. Of,
1: I think, yeah, well, I think it's it, it goes further than that. When you have a lot of these ethnically sort of ambiguous actors that are asked to play, you know, a variety of different yeah. races and cultures yeah. and things like you really have to be sensitive to that. I, I mean, I find it, frankly, one of the hardest things, and, and recently with politics, the political climate as it is, I've, I've been turning down more and more opportunities that are just racists and horrible people um, because I just... I don't I don't really feel like filling that bucket of society. It's so out there. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the right thing to do because it's but to me, I feel like I've done it in a in a certain regard. Yeah. But it's the same sort of I guess it's the same sort of idea where it's like, you know, regardless of anybody's opinions, they're they're people that, you know, what you you know, I don't know. It's it's it gets tough when it gets into that. But but to go back to the original point, um it was there was some safety in seeing you know john malkovich navigate that in such a in such mm-hmm. a way and i think when i took the stage in that production i more or less just kind of embodied some of the physicality and the vocal things that he did You copied him a little bit i copied that's him. okay at that at that age it was the thing to do and some magic happened though within that production where there wasn't there was never a false tear there was never a like it all happened. It was she, okay. So, so there's there's two modes of thinking. I think in acting a lot, there's I need to feel it to do it, mm-hmm. which is which, which is pervasive and everywhere. That's yeah. what a lot of people really focus on. But then there's this other side, which is like, well, if I do it, I'll feel it. You know, Willem Dafoe is a huge proponent of that. Well, I think this. Olivier used to say. Uh,
0: well, it was a great story. Lawrence Olivier uh, was in the movie with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and You know that story probably where they were. It's Marathon Man. <laughs> my, and, my, my, what, what does he say? Is I think a- he said, I, I, uh, I'm staying up all night. I have to. I'm doing a scene where he's supposed to be exhausted. Hoffman is is supposed to be exhausted and he says i've been staying up all night and I know cuz we're doing that scene where i'm supposed to be exhausted and Lawrence Olivier says well you know you might try acting my this dear called boy it's acting my dear boy it's yeah. acting boy well, yeah but, o- Olivier used to say he never really he never really found the soul of his character until he decided on what nose to
1: use right he this, would do, find a different you know a bit different prosthetic nose this so. sort of thing is is it, it was a huge lesson to me um but it was also so much I mean Malkovich did such a great job in that in that piece and whatever magic he created I got a taste mm-hmm. and uh, and then it took me years to sort of decipher what had happened because mm-hmm. we were talking I think before we hit record about taking credit for the stuff sometimes it's the director sometimes it's the script um, sometimes it's just where you're at in your life and, and being a conduit you know sort of being mm-hmm. available to it and I guess I can take credit for that practice or the ability to do that but but it's nothing so remarkable as like like devising it and plotting it and planning it and, and doing it. Sometimes it just works. <laughs>
0: it's,
1: you know, I mean, and everybody has their
0: own. But that was the that was the production where you yeah. thought.
1: Yeah, I, well, I went on. I, I was honored for it. Um, the Murray Eagle, I think it was called the Eagle. The local newspaper oh, gave wow. me a performer of the year award for that it and felt for good. Yeah, It was it was cool, man. It was actually it was one of those things where I think there was maybe one or two students that went through Cottonwood before me that got the Performer of the Year Award. Because what that award is, is it's not just one part in one play. It's like a combination of what you did in the musical and what you did in the, you know, the straight play. And, and so thanks to, we did Oliver, and I was Bill Sykes and Oliver that year, and then, you know, uh, Lenny and a and Men I got that honor. And it really was. It really was a special... Because to me, it wasn't like... It wasn't a... You just did a good job at this one thing. It was like you're actually a good actor, mm-hmm. that and a versatile actor, <laughs> and uh, and that was a, yeah, that was a that's a small matter of, of pride in my development. And uh, so um, you, you um,
0: then you went on to college of Eastern Utah. Of Eastern Utah, two, yeah. two year program there.
1: Two year program. I made it one. Um, that's all you could take, or well, all you could afford, or
0: mm-hmm. all, all you needed.
1: It was a combination of things. Mostly, I I think what I've always done is follow the path of least resistance toward playing. I like playing around. Um, And so, when I didn't have an outlet for that, I just did it everywhere and anywhere. Once I found that I was able to focus it, um, College of Eastern Utah wasn't much of a decision. I didn't really apply anywhere else. It was like, you know, you went to Cottonwood, you can go here. And then I got down there, and I front-loaded all of my classes with the drama classes you know uh acting classes and the fun the fun that's, shit that's all
0: you really wanted to yeah.
1: do and uh and we did it we did some great plays made some great friends had a great time um and then at the time my father's you know health was sort of uh, diminishing and and so after the first year i came back to salt lake to care for him i had a band uh the kamikazes was an old punk band that we, we I remember that yeah, band around. I, I believe uh, x96 got us up on the local stage at uh warp tour and we probably like huh. we probably pushed pawned off a, a, a couple demos on you guys yeah i'm <laughs> sure something. yeah i remember them being around um and so i had the band and uh and i was back in salt lake and i was looking at the classes that i'd have to go back and take and it was all the boring ones it was all the science and math and and the general eds, and again, my friend uh, Nathan Stevens was making good money up here doing film. I mean, he but he was a type two. He's a great actor first and foremost, but but he was nineteen and looked you know fourteen, fifteen, which is just a gold mine if you've got some chops. And I was like nineteen and looked about twenty-three, which is about the most awkward phase of an actor's career. Um, but I still thought I'd try it out. Um, I've always been in love with the the stage but the uh the decision was going to be made sooner than later to go to New York or go to LA and I was like okay well probably the way to do this to make the most money is to make a name for myself you know doing film and then hopefully get invited to the great stages with the great players in front of the great crowds and that's I think what I'm still working toward today um so that summer I said all right you know I'll try out the the film stuff here. There was a meandering scene. Here. I was like, "There's enough here to to f- to see if I can do it." And I've always been of the thinking where it's like, "Okay, well, if there's something in your backyard, you know, it's best to get that rather than go big." And I was like, "I've got to prove to myself first that I can book film and television work here before I can think of anything else." And it took a couple years, but eventually, uh, it did start. It did start uh, working out. I think my first, I think my first professional credit was, uh, a Disney movie called luck of the Irish that still plays every St. Patrick's day. And, uh, I was like a evil leprechaun henchman. <laughs> my line got cut out of it cause I just, so, oh, what, did you just get yourself a, a, an agent here or? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nate, Nate walked me into his agent and they were great, but they also, you know, I also kind of got the feeling of, uh, uh you, oh this is you know this is Nate's buddy let's just uh so I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was all like it wasn't my agent as a favor kind of thing uh-huh. but then eventually I was actually just right it's kind of crazy right about a block away I was taking an acting class it's uh, not around anymore and I got scouted out of that class to a different agency um and that agency was I wouldn't really say on the up and up but uh, they were selling a lot of classes and, you know, just there's a lot of people out there trying to take advantage of people. Yeah. There's people out there actually selling people dreams where it's just like, oh, hey, you've got an interesting look. You should pay me thousands of dollars and consider an acting career. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, uh, so I was, uh, uh, I was there, but, but to their credit, they were getting me out. And mm-hmm. I guess to my credit, I, I booked some work. Uh, and the one, two, three that happened was Luck of the Irish. And then I went and actually booked uh, Ocean's Eleven, which I ended up cut out of as well.
0: Was that was that filmed here?
1: No, that was down in Vegas. And that was, you know, Steven Soderbergh at the height of his uh, uh, everything, Oscar winners. And, and, I yeah, I went there and I booked it as a local hire. It was high stress. Um, but I managed to, to get it. How was it high stress? What do you mean? I mean, it's just a lot of, you know, it's high stress when you're driving, you know, eight hours just for a shot at something, and then you come back, and then you get a call back, and you got to do that again, and and so, I don't know, it felt like there was a lot of of pressure, but I overcame it, and that's a whole other story, and then there was a TV show called Cover Me, and after that, the agency asked me to start teaching classes, which I was really reluctant to do, because I was like a college dropout who had been pretty much cut out of two out, out of three th- <laughs> things. Were that, they going to pay you to do that? Yeah, they were going to pay me really, really well. Too well, kind of thing, you know? Hmm. And um, and I, I avoided doing it um, to a point where I think my thinking was, someone's going to do this, you know? And I knew that I cared a great deal about acting. To go back further, before the fluke of eighth grade acting class, I was... Manipulating my emotions and, you know, I mean, my mother, to be fair, uh, probably from age about like eight or nine. That, like, I, I remember very distinctly the first time I made myself cry through my imagination. To, and, to manipulate your mother. To get attention. Yeah. Well, so manipulate your mother sounds a lot harder than, like, there was a need, that I think, that I needed. Um, and she was very busy. Yeah. And I found a way to, to make her pay attention. You know, she would take time off work. She would take me to the doctor. I would get ice cream, Um, you know. That's evil. I know. Fortunately, I found a way to, you know, uh, put that towards some direction. Channel it into something positive. Because that was evil. I mean, straight evil. Yeah. When I was, like, 19, I I went and sat my parents down, and I was like, hey, I think I need to come clean with you guys. Like, I probably owe you a ton of money. (laughs) Like seriously, I thought because because she would every time I would go because I that's what I did. I played sick. I would do crazy things and play sick, and and then we would go to the doctor. Like that was that Aye. was the angle. And all I ever heard was like, "Oh, you know, thank goodness we have insurance." See, I thought it was a good thing mm-hmm. as a kid. I didn't realize it was so so much. And I mean, I took this like as far an extreme? as dream exploratory surgery. Really? Yeah. When I was probably about ten years old, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a crazy story. I have a big scar. I mean, it's like they took my appendix out; they didn't find anything. <laughs> like, like, and that was what I went. I, we were in, we were in college. My buddy had strep throat. We all had to like throw our money together to get him a, a penicillin shot. Yeah, and that's when I was like, holy cow! You know, I I don't even know how much money is there. So, so, so uh, now, and when you were uh,
0: at the time at ten, you realized even the expo- you were
1: uh, willing to go through exploratory surgery because it was cool I thought I thought it was cool I was like there's gonna be a television in the room I get this little breathing gizmo that yeah. I can toy-, toy with I mean I can I, I mean I can kind of get that I, I
0: remember when I had my tonsils out as a mm-hmm. kid or something there I mean it was not pleasant but I got to stay home and you know have ice cream and
1: and people waited on me, and yeah.
0: that was kind of, yeah.
1: No, I went, I went for it, and yeah. I wasn't squeamish about any of the procedures. So I'm, I'm not saying there's not something a little off.
0: No, there's something <laughs> a lot off about
1: it. <laughs> yeah. but, something a lot off about that, but. But, fortunately, I found a way to, to direct it. And so, with all of that said, I knew I cared about acting. Yeah. And I knew I knew how to do it. Yeah. One yeah. way or another. Yeah. And uh, you know, this is—that's is, an amazing story. It's crazy. I don't know if I've. Yeah, you might. I mean, I know I've told it to friends. I don't know if, I've, mm-hmm. if it's on the record yet. But, but. Uh, it's
0: a great. I mean, and it's a good story too. It's not a. It's nothing that you should ultimately be. It seems to me you've forgiven yourself for it because you did come clean to your. Parents. Oh yeah, yeah. It was.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things that I carried around for a long time, and once I realized that you didn't have to get cut open. <laughs> To get attention. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, was, if you were doing that as an adult, then yeah, there'd well, be something would be serious. Yeah. Yeah. No. But 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 yeah. but once I realized that there was a way easier yeah. way, like I could just go and perform a, a character yeah. and get applause, and I you know I didn't have to actually bleed for it. Well. Um, it was good, and uh, and so I did feel like I had you know. Uh, at least stories worth telling, uh, to, to hopefully teach, you know, in, in all the years I've realized like how little people can actually learn from just stories, you know, you've got to get them acting and you've got to get them doing. And, and I think we only learn from direct experience, whether it's meditation or anything, you know, mm-hmm. you have to do the thing. And, so, um, so you did teach some teaching. So yeah, eventually I, I, t- I, I took up teaching, um, and that kind of gave me the direction, here for the uh, the next about 8 years i was just that was it i mean that was my survival job here was kind of teaching acting and and i i managed to maintain about three or four gigs a a year sometimes it was a day sometimes it was a week hmm. um and then after about i think it was 2007 i did another disney movie cuz this was this was sort of how i i held it i said the biggest movies at least at the time uh <laughs> In Salt Lake, with the best exposure, because Touched by an Angel had just um, gone away, um, were, were these Disney Channel movies. Like, you know, High School Musical, I think, was, yeah. like, really exposed to that in time. And to me, it was like, okay, well, th- that's the biggest stuff that's in Salt Lake f- for me. And for being, like, kind of this big, scary type, I, I saw the odds kind of against me. I was like, what are the odds of me getting a decent part in a D- Disney Channel movie? If that ever happens, then I'm going to be out of excuses and it happened. You know, it happened in uh, a movie called Dadnapped, where I played a dadnapper named Skunk. Um skunk. Yeah, all the way down to like a uh, skunk striped hairdo. It was real, real original. Mm-hmm. Um and uh but it ha- had a blast and it was a big part in a you know, a Disney Channel movie and I said, Okay, that's that's my ticket to LA I'm gonna and then I went out to L A with like, Oh hey, I'm in this Disney Channel movie and LA was like, Okay, well yeah. <laughs> what else? <laughs> <laughs> what else have you done? I taught acting classes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, uh, um, and and it was essentially kind of starting over. But <clears throat> but on the bright side, I did have you know I did have some good tape. I'd I'd, ha- I'd worked with some great actors. You know, I'd, I'd had a chance to work with Anthony Hopkins in World's Fastest Indian, which shot out here, and Ving Rhames in a, a movie that Richard Dutcher put together called uh, Evil Angel. Oh, I saw that. Mm, and um, you know. yeah, I, yeah, um, that's
0: funny. I saw that uh, before I ever met Richard. I saw yeah. that, um, and then when I re- when I met Richard, I didn't recognize him because he'd put on a lot of weight. Okay, yeah, he's not, and now he's he's back to thin again. But yeah, anyway,
1: yeah, and um, don't ever call him the father of Mormon cinema. Okay, no, he doubt. hates that. Sort of figure that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so so I got out to L.A. and then had i think it's important to have like you know something to show for your work and fortunately i did have that i had a good reel and and then it was just yeah piece by piece co-star by co-star by some good luck here and there and what was the first thing you did in la the very first thing oh this is actually a funny story the very first thing i did in la was operation repo it's not even it's like a it's like a fake reality show I don't even think it's around anymore, but it follows repo people around, right, to repo uh-huh. cars. Yeah. And it's uh it's it was non union because I was uh it's called SAG Eligible, so you've got the Screen Actors Guild and when you're like a must join you just haven't paid the money yet. And so I I could still do non union work and I just gotten hired like that day to be a bus boy at this South African bar and I needed it. I like I had no money. I was like I didn't have enough money to go home at that point. So I like I needed this bus job. This busing job. And I get offered this acting job, and it was gonna pay me two hundred and fifty bucks and it was just gonna be improvised. They're gonna show up and try to repo your car. And I turned it down. I was like, no, I need I need to go make forty bucks a night yeah. busing tables because at least I'll make that every week rather than whatever this is. And the employer was like, "Dude, you came out here to act? Go do this thing." And I said, so "Okay, all right. Well, I can still have the job. Okay." And so well, I go. That was good of him. It? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he was great. He was he was he, a good friend over time, and um, and so I show up to this weird shop. I think it's behind maybe Van mm-hmm. Nuys Airport, and um, and I meet the cast. And then we go to this, like, workshop that's behind the production office. The production office is literally just a room with a whole bunch of stacks of paper. It was, like, you know, everything you'd expect from, like, I don't know, some weird production office in the Valley. And uh, they throw me in this room with uh, these Hispanic uh, workers. You know, they're they're making cabinets, and none of them speak English. And I don't speak Spanish. But somebody does, and they explain to them, hey, this guy's going to pretend like he's your boss. And then we're going to show up with cameras and we're going to make this show. And it was, was, long story short, it was a kind of really awkward and weird experience. Improvised scene. I didn't know the show existed. I didn't think anybody watched it. Turns out a ton of people watched that show. Because because everybody was calling me up and saying, Oh, hey, man, I didn't know that show was fake until I saw you on it. And we thought it was real. The, The best part of that story is a bartender here. I want to say, well, it was maybe the woodshed. It's not around anymore. I remember the place. But one, yeah. of, the, uh, one of the regulars, uh, Richard, walked in and, and saw my buddy behind the bar and was like, oh, hey, you know, I saw Charlie on television the other day, which is not a crazy thing for my friend to hear. And he goes, oh, cool. Yeah, what was he doing? He goes, oh, it looks like he's doing pretty good out there in Los Angeles. He's got himself a cabinet shop. He's got, <laughs> got himself. Well, got the a car, bunch of Mexican th- workers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> except for the car being repoed, it seems like he's doing all right. So, yes, Richard, I went to California to. Start a career in cabinet making. Yeah, that was my first gig, and then and and it was scary because it was like it was it was like something here that might get made and no one would ever see was seen by a ton of people there with fan mail and blah blah blah.
0: Do people still uh, they'll come up to you and say or just
1: start to go skunk. Um, yeah, sometimes, but, but more oddly enough, I get recognized for Luck of the Irish, which I had nothing to do in, but be big and scary. And then I, I surprisingly get Operation Repo. Really? I get, still. <laughs> I do. I get Reggie, Reggie do a lot, which is true detective. True detective. Yeah. And, um, and then yeah, Constantine, there's some Constantine fans, Chaz, he's now on Legends of Tomorrow. So that's still, they're still keeping that alive. But I've but I've been pretty fortunate because I'm 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 a little bit awkward with the public figuredom, you know, like mm-hmm. like I embrace it, but at the same time uh, it's it's it it fights me. There's a part of me that wants to be a really successful actor, and then there's a part of me that's just like, oh, but don't look at me. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's unique to me or mm-hmm. but I don't know. You're a public figure.
0: It's um yeah, and I get you know, it's I mean, it's not like I'm mobbed by people, but um probably anytime i go to the grocery store or yeah you know at least one person will say but it's it's generally pretty pretty casual it's pretty hey hey bill how you doing it's more like i'm a friend to them you know mm-hmm. it's like hey how's it going hey bill hi yeah and i said so, and i always go hey hi you know it's just yeah. like i'm a pal around town it's like a, a their friend occasionally somebody wants to Come up and hug me, or have a picture, and that's okay too. You know, it's it's yeah. not a mob, so
1: it's okay. I'm just like,
0: hi, how's it going? Can could, could we get a picture? Yeah, sure, that's okay.
1: See, uh, yeah, see, that means people like that you, you're liked. I think people like me, sure. <laughs> but earlier today on 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 the the show, you mentioned something about you know being big and scary, but but being nice in real life. And one thing, an afterthought I had was like, you know, what's funny is. Like like, say right after Oh you know what that? Now, is. Hey we got our presidential alert live on the air It's the presidential alert This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System Oh you know what I'm not getting it No action dude. you yes, Oh there it, there it is There it
0: is Now my phone is muted Mine is too And it's not Mine
1: was on do not disturb but it's still
0: Mine is on do not disturb It's it's showing up but it's not
1: making noise So I'm going to say that my phone is wonky That's funny I was expecting something more. I mean, like, a, hey, this is the president.
0: Well, anyway, hi, this is the president. Just pay no attention to that woman. Oh,
1: God. Oh, man. You know, I had avoided that, and not to steer this, but I had avoided that talk he gave, oh. you know, that you guys played this morning. Yeah, sorry. I had avoided it, and then I was driving to the studio, and I figured I'd chime in and hear what you guys were talking about so I wasn't coming in cold. And you played that clip, and it fucking can I say like it fucking jarred me it like shook me like I was like literally upset in hearing him make fun of
0: her
1: her Her memory and all that stuff I
0: can't um I don't
1: know I don't understand and you
0: know as an actor you maybe as a uh, you know I've been an actor I I try to get inside of people's heads you know and Figure out how they think and why they do what they do, and I, I I fail to understand how people cannot look at. I don't know if you looked at any of that testimony when she gave oh, yeah, her. Yeah,
1: yeah. I watched the I watched the confirmation hearing,
0: and you look at that Judge Kavanaugh and watch what he does and how he handled all of that, and you look at him and go. Now I know in a court of law you need evidence and you need this and you need that sure. but you look at that guy and you go that fucker is a an asshole. Mm-hmm. He is an asshole. Yeah. He's a liar. He's a he, there there's something ain't right with that guy. Yeah.
1: Now that's not enough to go on. No in uh you know in 12 step programs they would call him a dry drunk or a untreated alcoholic. Yeah, now, I'm not afraid of saying that. Like, like he was so angry and so deflecting, and and I mean, it's 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 been more or less proven that he lied at least about some things. Yeah. Um. And so there's dishonesty, and there's instability. So what is it? What does it like,
0: say about where 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 things where have things gone so wrong that a, a president of the United States who's had accusation after accusation against him can stand up in front of a bunch of people in Mississippi and say the men have to be careful. There are so many false accusations. I wouldn't, you know, men are the ones who have to watch out and there are women in the audience cheering that
1: I don't, I can't, I can't, I can't get it. It's, I mean, it's gaslighting, right? It's, 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 that's what I feel like the whole country is dealing with. And when the election process was happening, although we just we're, we can see, I, this is more important in my career, anyways. So, so um, during the election process, I was pretty vocal. Not so much about like like who's best for the job, but it's fit for the position. And it had everything to do with the fact that this guy is like a malignant narcissist. He's abusive in in terms of power and people, and you don't want that man in control because. Because he's not going to go away quietly, he's he's going to lie. He's going to do everything he can to maintain, and and that's I feel like what we're seeing in mass is we're just like literally we're in a toxic relationship with our president, and he'll spin everything out of control, so we all feel crazy. I've never felt more separated from people I love and more divided, and that's a power play, you know. Keep them keep them separate so you can control them, but but it's something unique, you know. I took I took a particular stab at. People here, because you know, um, and my family did not react that well to it, uh, nor did some others when the election was happening. Because I was like, "Go for the third party candidate. Go for like, how can the family values party, you know, go for go for this guy who has had numerous affairs and this and this and this and this, like he, who like the, like he's sleeping with porn stars and you have this big war on porn. Like, how can you vote against this?" and um and I, f- I just feel like yeah he's dangerous man he's, he's 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 a dangerous person in power yeah i well i know and i think that the behavior will get worse because like let me ask you this cuz you're from here i mean yeah i grew up in ogden so another thing on the show this morning you guys were talking about these liquor laws and i've been around and i've seen it you know I've, they're constantly changing it and they ma- mm-hmm. it seems to make a big deal out of these things you know, and as a kid growing up here, these things that were made a big deal of, um, sort—I was sort of more interested in, sure, because I wanted to be a free-thinking and have my own opinion kind of person. So I, I felt like, you know, the church didn't talk about it. My parents didn't really talk about it. The dare program that, like, like I was introduced to drugs and sex and all that through the schooling program with this really slanted angle, right? Which is just like it's so bad. But then you, you, you go out in the street and you see people do it and they seem to have an okay life. And then you go, oh, well, it can't be that bad. And then all of a sudden you're interested in it. Um, with the Prop 2 thing that's happening here. See, I, I've got this fetish with Utah politics. And and with the Prop 2 thing that's happening here, I'm a huge proponent for um, the passage of medical marijuana and even recreational marijuana. Because I've seen it work in California. Like, like there's not... I, I hang out with a lot less people who use marijuana in California than I did here because it's not taboo it's not special there it's like take it or leave it if you like it do it if you don't don't do it I'm not going to judge you one way or the other and I was being really loud about that for a while because it, it seems to work it seems to work in in uh, Denver and in other states where, where it's worked yeah. out but then my last trip here somebody was telling me that you know they were at an event or something and they, they had people actually like overdosing on Edibles and and these kinds of, and I was like, well, no. I could see how that can happen, but it, it, it's prone to happen more here for the same mm. reasons. Well, I mean, just to address it a, a little bit, and then we'll get back to. Right. Sorry, to, yes, know. yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, we took a total. <laughs> uh,
0: it's it's uh, when you demonize something and make it uh, mysterious. Mm-hmm. When you make it mysterious, when you make it something that's out of the norm and away from the mainstream, uh, kids in particular are curious about it. Right. What? What? What is it? Why is it so bad? Mm-hmm. Well, I know. I know that uh, Randy and and uh, and uh, John's parents, and they just live up the street, and you know they drink. Yeah. They smoke cigarettes, and I think they smoke marijuana. And they. You know they're really nice to me, mm-hmm. and they and they have a, a nice house, and you know they work, and and they have their kids are nice, and yeah, and I, they don't seem like they're really weird, or I don't know, I don't get it. That's it. What there must be something I don't understand. It's supposed to be really bad.
1: Yeah.
0: I may. I'm curious. I'm curious what's going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not being told the truth. Yeah. Maybe I'm not being told the truth about all of this.
1: Well, and to to, to go off of that, because this is something that fascinates me as a former c- cigarette smoker. <laughs> um, me too. Which uh, I I eventually quit by use of Alan Carr's Easy Way book. Which if you're out there and you smoke cigarettes, check out Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking. It's um, an amazing <laughs> piece of literature that's worked for a lot of people. But he talks about how. You know, say young girls start smoking to be sophisticated and look sexy, and young men start smoking to look cool and yeah. whatever. But by the time that you can actually look cool smoking a cigarette, like the biggest damage is done um, because usually your first one is coughing and sputtering and on and on. Yeah, and uh, and then you have but to. But By God, I'll, I'll get, get over. It. I'll get over that. <laughs> and and whatever happens in your mind there, where you go, were you no know better than your natural instincts? That's the beginning of addictive behavior. You don't want to talk about gateway drugs? You take cigarettes off the fucking off the shelf, you know, because that's what it is. It's like, no, I'm going. No, you will take this. Mm-hmm. You will take this in yeah. spite of your your own natural reasoning. Sure.
0: I mean, it's the same thing with getting drunk.
1: Yeah. But you throw up and everything spins around mm-hmm. and it's awful. But then you you go you you know I, I gotta get better at this. I gotta get better yeah. at this. I'm a professional now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and um and what, another thing that I've just noticed here um is that there seems to be a a very loud like i see it in the music scene sometimes like i'll go to a club here and in the first 10 minutes uh, like a local band will be like yeah fucking salt lake who's ready to fucking rock and roll goddamn it like they just like this litany of ex- expletives that is to say we are not with the mainstream culture or whatever like the the, the counterculture needs to be equally extreme and uh and sadly, and that, Dave
0: Grohl comes to town and
1: he may swear once or twice, right? So, but you know, yeah, he may, yeah. Like it's an interest. It's just an interesting. It's an interesting thing, and it's it's terribly endearing. I love it. I, <laughs> I'm I'm from it. <laughs> you know that that was me um but with a little bit of distance you go you know like that middle road where it's just sort of like like live and love and mm-hmm. accept and moderation yeah. what is it there's a quote where it's like everything in moderation even moderation yeah. you know
0: i agree yeah okay let's go back let's get back, back yes. yes let's get, well, get back to we'll uh, back to charlie halford the man the myth the legend <laughs> um we were solving all the problems bill uh, we just, almost figured it out yeah because because we actually we will have to wrap up here in a minute. Mm-hmm. But I want to uh, touch on two or three key points that are in- interesting to me about you. Um, number one, w- uh, why vegan? How'd uh, that
1: happen? Um, well, that was... Moral decision? Uh, kind of a lot of things. Again, you know, I've, uh, the best things in my life, acting and veganism included, have sort of just been revealed to me by keeping an open mind. And sort of allowing for some direction to take hold um, I went vegetarian As soon as I found out it was an option I was probably about 12 Or 13 Right around that age I started making a lot of decisions for myself That's also when I kind of fell out of the church And things like this and, and, um, But I had a friend whose older sister Was vegetarian And she cooked and she made awesome vegetarian meals And I said oh this is an option and then at about age 14, some people will probably remember, like, the hardcore scene here, the straight edge scene here, and how kind of aggressive and crazy that was. Yes, I do. And veganism was a big part of that culture. Now, I got into straight edge also in part because, well, I knew that I was going down the wrong path. And this all happened about the same time as, like, I want to give acting the credit, but I have to give this as, as much credit, where I knew that for me to get through high school and maintain a grade point average and all of this stuff, then I was going to have to straighten out. And I was a punk and I I don't know, a, a, like in a heavy metal, you know, I was like listening to this weird uh, radio station called KJQ and this, they always played these weird... Drawn <laughs> by a bunch of assholes. Right, right, bunch of, <laughs> anyways, um, so I was, so at the time a bunch of my um, friends... Just yeah, they gravitated toward the hardcore music, and and then veganism was introduced to me through the, the music scene, on some of the bands, and I was already vegetarian, so I went ahead and and went with that, and then it, uh, that scene got so crazy. I mean, it literally got so crazy. It got, got got kind of a lot of straight edge people were very mean. Well, they're in prison. I mean, yeah, I had I had a, a friend on, uh, you know, America's Most Wanted for, you know, blowing up a fur co-op. You know I, I don't know, I know if you remember that, all that. I think I know who that is. Yeah.
0: Do we want names? Mm, I'm trying <laughs> to remember. I, I so I remember Dave Berg was among those people, mm-hmm. but he's he 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 can kind of stayed away from the real... Well, I haven't heard from Dave that's for a crazy. long That's
1: crazy. I, I, I mean, I'll leave him name because I know everybody's trying to get their lives together. And But there was some crazy stuff that was happening. And It was the guy who wore the cow suit all the time. Yeah. A lot of times. Oh, is, that's that the, funny. is that the guy that you're talking about? I don't know. But, uh, but it got so crazy that, like, I was like, this ideology has my friends literally on the run from the federal government. I mean, post 9-11, it was dr- domestic terrorism. What was going on here? That's domestic terrorism. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it was just like, you know like rep and cred and mm-hmm. you know like a scene Yeah. and so I that pushed me further into drama too because when I stopped being straight edge you don't just stop being straight edge at least not at the time you know you have to go like drug free and then you gotta be you know, like you gotta n- stop going to concerts if you don't want to get your ass kicked and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And I literally hid out in the drama department and, and I couldn't go to the vegan restaurants because they were populated by guys I was scared of at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm friends with all of them again now, but I mean that took fifteen years of yeah. just sort of letting everybody that's,
0: be. That's an interesting part of your life. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um and then but I went back to being vegetarian like a drug addict. You know what I mean? So I was like so I was like Extra cheese, extra mayo. Give mm-hmm. me all the grease. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, when I started getting into film, I would I went back to being vegan. So this is back in ninety nine, two thousand. So it's been a minute um, because it was like, okay, well here's a diet that I know that I agree with ethically. I think it's tasty, and I could probably like lose some pounds, which will make me look sexier on camera. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, it certainly. <laughs> Yeah, that part. Yeah, of yeah. Well, hey, of it's know. not so much. <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, you you sort of skirted around the Sundance mm-hmm. Institute. How, when did you do that? And uh, are you
1: still affiliated with that? And do you go back there? Yeah, I. Um, it was always in my sights, because again, to to beckon back to uh, the Stevens brothers, they they had a great little piece in uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love. And they had what a great movie! It was a great, great film, and uh, and they had ended up sort of in the running for that via another mutual friend, Ashley Clark, who met Paul at the Sundance Labs. And I was friends like, so I was just like, wow, that happens. You meet a director early in their career, and uh, <clears throat> make an impression, work hard for them. Maybe that can come around later. And so it was always sort of a soft focus in my sights. I really want to do that. And once I got down there, from about 2003, yeah, I was heavy, heavy on let's make an impression, um, for better or worse. Uh, let's make an impression. Well, I mean, did
0: you just go down there and start hanging out, or how do you? No, get you know,
1: you, you audition. Like oh. they, they, they do uh, some casting. I think Jeff Johnson, who's a big casting director around here, he does most of the major stuff. I think he's still involved, or his assistant Robert Andrus, might be more in charge of that now. Mm-hmm. And then they have a casting person, Kathleen Broyles. So, so you, go, you got in by audition. Yeah, I auditioned my way in. And then once I was there, it was sort of, you know, I, I, I did everything I could to help both accommodate um, people who were hanging out in Salt Lake as well or in, in Utah as well as, like, um, you know, offer up as strong a performance as, as, as I could. And and what's cool about that program is that you are allowed to sort of fudge. Like, I, I worked with Carrie Fukunaga... Um, on when he was developing his his I guess debut feature, which was Sin Nombre, all about the Central American immigrants that come through Mexico oh, right, and how yeah. it's a beautiful film as well. Um, <clears throat> but he had me playing like a Salvatrucha, like an actual like MS gangster, uh, MS thirteen, like I had a big 13 sunburned into me <laughs> like after doing the work uh, which is obviously like I'm 6'6 and white I'm never ever going to play that for money mm. uh, in a real thing but because we're down there on the mountain I had the right energy that he that could work for that role and, and so I got to stretch out that way and then I just kind of made a reputation for myself down there um, for yeah and I, I did that for Pride that about four, four or five years running and then um, I've been back uh, once since I've been out in LA and it seems like every year there's a couple of conversations about the, the possibility of going back there and doing it. It's definitely something I love to do.
0: It'd be great to be in a PT Anderson film. That'd be great.
1: Yeah. He's on the, he's on the list. I got, I got that wish list, mm-hmm. and, uh, he's definitely, he's definitely up there. And so, uh,
0: you said, I think before we started Constantine, mm-hmm. you, you got, you were a,
1: a, a reoccurring or recurring player. You were a cast member yeah I mean after Lucy it was it was Constantine was a show that was on NBC and we did 13 episodes um, and we just didn't quite have the numbers to and it was an expensive show so we didn't really have the numbers to really keep it afloat sadly um, but I did end up being yeah like number two on that call sheet so so it was a regular job it wasn't a big regular job just because it's it was so Constantine John Constantine specific yeah. um, but I did about 10 episodes. I did 10 episodes of that that season. It was an awesome awesome experience and that sort of that sort of got me out of the bar industry.
0: That you know? made that you,
1: you said that kind of that's that sort
0: of made your career. How how is it that that kind of makes your career ultimately? Well, it was
1: well one part I you mean did, all the work that you've done makes your career, yeah. but that that was kind of like it's all it's all drops in the bucket, but but a job like that, you know, and the kind of money that it provides at least in its while you're shooting it. But then also with, like, residual income, you know, has has made it to where I don't live a comfy life at all. Uh, there's still months that I'm, like, concerned that I might have to, you know, like, like take some work or something. But but for the most part, uh, I survive on new work and then residual income and, and ten episodes of a, a television show that stays relevant kind of helps with that. Um, it also made me leave like had that show shot in Los Angeles I don't think I would have stopped working at the bar as crazy as that sounds. I'm just like paranoid like that. like this whole thing could end tomorrow. Oh, I see and, what you mean yeah but but they shot in Atlanta, so I had to give up this this bar job that was great and has no turnover. Uh-huh. so I knew once I was like leaving for six to nine months, I was leaving and uh, and that and yeah, so it wasn't necessarily even a choice. It was just like okay, I guess I'm a like full time professional actor now. And uh, and the rest is just fighting a good fight, you know. Guest starring here and there, and and seeing uh, what comes. I've been focusing more on feature films lately, but you certainly wouldn't turn down a recurring TV no series. No, no heavens, no. Yeah. No. Um, I think I, I I am getting you know. I don't want to jinx me, but I am getting a little bit more. I think particular toward. I think, as I said earlier, the types of roles that. Uh, that i'd like to do and then there's the real, like a very real reality like you get it's easy to get really excited and go oh man a series regular like that's awesome but but the other side and it is awesome it's great money it's like it's 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 a killer experience and hopefully it's a great show and you get a lot of love for it but i was you know back when i was smoking having cigarettes with lance hendrickson out in front of the the Oh, man, the Sutton Place up in Vancouver. This is where they put everybody up for all the Vancouver shows. And he was just like, I, he goes, I I wouldn't. Uh, now, what show was this? I was working on Lucifer at the time, and uh-huh. he was up there working on, it might have been Legends of Tomorrow or, or one of the Marvel shows. And he was just talking about how he, like, the last thing he wants is a series regular thing because it's just the same thing all the time. Yeah. And he'd rather bounce around and do different stuff. And, and I, I kind of sympathize with it. I'm not in a place to say that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean he's he's not a huge star, no. but he's certainly a, a commodity that yeah, he's, he
1: doesn't have to worry about. He knows that someone will hire him. Yeah, he's never want for work. Yeah, and I'm not in that area. I'm not in that arena. I'm mm-hmm. still like, oh, you know, this could. I feel like this could go either way. I feel like it, it'd be harder to derail anything at this point, which is which is nice. Knock mm-hmm. on wood. Yeah, but uh, but, but but yeah, there is something to be said about. I mean, that TV hustle is a hustle. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of work and. Like, like I, I, you know, I did some work on Law and Order, SVU, and they've been running that show twenty, I want to say twenty plus years now, yeah. and it's it's almost the same structure every. I don't know how they do it. Well, it's good money, and their families are in New York. Like so, so there's I, I guess there's you different. just get up, you go to work, you know, yeah, you play the character, and then you go home. Yeah. And so, so there's different sure types, and I don't want to jinx anything by saying I'm this or that, but but I I do like the I like the variety quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so, uh, the, the thing that's going to be uh, most current for you is, I can't... Bad bad Times at the El Royale. Times. <laughs> bad yeah. Times
0: at the El Royale, uh, which I'm looking forward to seeing, and that'll be out probably when people are listening
1: to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you do have another job lined up. I got a job lined up that I can't speak too much toward, but uh, uh, it's called Laundromat, and it's a Steven Soderbergh movie. Um... I mean, it's so new that like it remains to be seen. You know, like I, I try not to speak on anything until like like even bad times at the Russ. It's like until I see the movie, there's no guarantee ever that you might um, you, you you did the work. Yeah, you do the work. You Got paid for it. Yeah, but they got runtime and who knows but where. They
0: say, uh, you know that Halford scene? We could we probably well
1: that you know we'll cut it a little bit <laughs> and they say you see oh that, that's my arm. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, my arm. Yeah. Well, and and there's stories like that. That have uh, once again affected me. Friends of mine that I've watched like really hype a hype a, a deal, and then come out and it's like, wait, didn't you say you were gonna? And then you're backtracking and all of that. Yeah. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's just you know it's just a day's work and um, where's where it going to be? Do you know? We're shooting out in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure they're taking it all over. It's a very cool, uh, you know. It's Steven Soderbergh and kind of at his, you know, where I fell in love with him, kind of that provocateur. Sort of stuff, um, and uh, and then yeah, I, I'm doing more v- like voiceover stuff. I'm trying to do that. So there was an animated feature, Death of Superman, that's out and available, pretty available now. I got a cool part in that, Bibbo Bobowski, who's like a Superman super fan, you know. Yeah, and you uh, should do a lot.
0: You should probably do a lot of that kind of stuff. You got yeah. a good voice. And-
1: yeah, and there'll be a second part of that coming out next year called Reign of the Superman, mm-hmm. which I will return as Bibbo as well as a surprise appearance that I won't spoil for anybody just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just looking forward to whatever else the universe has in store for me. So you got you got an agent? Yep.
0: They send you out? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. When you do a, a project like that for uh, on the Soderbergh, it's a one-day thing, uh, and that in some location in L.A. and probably miles away from your house, mm-hmm. uh, do they come and get you?
1: In L.A., um, me, no. I'm sure there are people that get that treatment.
0: <clears throat> they just say, show up. Right. Here's the time, here's the place, show
1: up. Yeah. And if you don't show up, somebody else will do it. Yeah, well, and if you want to get into the real dirt of it, I mean, there's still jobs in Atlanta that, you know, that I, you know, I, I'll i go work there and make like I live in Atlanta to do, you know, so, mm-hmm. so I'll get myself there, I'll get a car, I'll just... You know, find a couch or something, and get to get to where It's not a, it's not all it's not as pretty as it looks sometimes, yeah. but but it's worth it. It's worth it. <clears throat> and um and yeah, I'm sure that you know obviously when you get a job out of state properly through through like L A agents. Then, um, you know, yeah, you get the whole treatment, the black mm-hmm. car. and the-
0: it's, a, it's a weird thing. I mean, you know, so Steven Soderbergh, and you know, Jill you think, uh, well, I've been in a Soderbergh movie before. Oh, he, you know, so you think, oh, well, that's why you're going to be in this one. It's just casting directors, and they go, they look at that, and then, and then they say, oh, yeah, he
1: was in Steven's other movie, and he didn't cause any problems. Yeah, I wonder if, I, you know, sometimes I wonder about, you know, me and Steven have... Uh, I don't even know I don't know if he even thinks twice about it but for me it's been the strangest kind of relationship and it's been very it's been very specific for me because really? I, because I did Ocean's 11 and I got cut out of it the the real short version of that story was that I was working with Bernie Mac and it was an improvised scene and I just don't think I improvised the right scene <laughs> and that, that is a whole other story yeah. but <clears throat> again when the like that was another lesson toward like I came back to A Hero's Welcome, Salt Lake. My friends were, oh, yeah, Charlie, Steven Soderbergh, Bernie Mac. And I was just like, I felt weird about it. The second the job was done, I had that feeling, that sort of sinking feeling that is just like, I don't know that that felt right. And uh, and so I was like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then eventually I went to see the premiere and 20 minutes into the movie, I'm like, I'm definitely not going to be in this movie because I was just so young and dumb. I never even asked for the script. I was like, "Oh well, I'm improvising." They just liked what I did in the casting room, and I'll just do it again. And um, so I don't know; it's all speculation as to what actually happened because it could have been as simple as runtime. But but to me, I was on a mission mm-hmm. from that point on to be like to give Soderbergh a performance that he could
0: use. <laughs> well, here's your chance. Yeah.
1: And so uh, and so when he retired uh, some years back, I was like, "Ah, damn it," you know. But then, yes, fate would. Would have it. Logan Lucky came out. I backdoored that through my Atlanta agent. I uh, did the whole <clears throat> did the whole local hire deal there, mm-hmm. um, and then finally, on the heels of that, met the the big casting director Carmen Cuba, who who does all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was in that was when I was in talks for Bad Times at the El Royale. And then through that process, I think I endeared myself to her and the company further. And so when this thing came up, I mean, I just, I quite honestly just got an email. And so. Oh, cool. So you didn't, you
0: didn't have to read yeah. or anything. They just.
1: Sh- yeah. So the casting director in the
0: company s- s- emailed was, you and said, we think we have something for you. Yeah. And if, are you
1: available? You know, and I'm sure that, you know, Steven's got to pass go. off on those things. And, so there
0: you go. And because it's so oh,
1: there's a part in one of oh, that what was that
0: one guy that, yeah. that,
1: that, oh, that Halford guy, he'd be great. Yeah, he this. can do it. He won't freak out, you know. Good. I think I, I, I don't know Who knows what that conversation Maybe it was just like eh, He's cheap and yeah. yeah
0: He has a car to, he, has he has a, a car, car He you can get
1: there Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He won't make a scene yeah. Well uh, I think we Yeah I think I got everything That's I a could. lot Yeah That was like a whole I feel like a I feel like uh Yeah You want a kiss or something I feel like we've really gotten to know each other We have bonded haven't yeah. we uh, No I don't
0: want to kiss you all right. You've been eating those jalapeno poppers, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Are they good? They're so good. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, And Zest is a great place, um, and uh, Casey, the uh, owner, is always very accommodating. Very nice to be here. Uh, Charlie, uh, great luck. Always when you're in town, please look us up. and Absolutely. And hang out. It's always nice
1: to see you. I um, yeah. Hopefully we'll have just bigger and better and cooler things to talk about as we go along. I so. great,
0: and I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. Where will you be when it uh, opens? Will you I'll be, be back
1: in. I'll be back in Los Angeles, get, getting ready for work. Okay. Um. But I I am trying to get back here more and more. I really want to. I really want to get back on some stages here. I mean, so uh, over the next year or so, I'm going to be trying to. Obviously, this is all at the mercy of my career. My mm-hmm. actual getting paid money career. Right. Uh, but I really do I'm more interested in doing theater here than I am in Los Angeles or anything else for all of the reasons we just discussed, you know, like there's there's a culture here that I know and that I love. There's
0: good theater here too. There's
1: good theater, there's great performers, there's great stages mm-hmm. and uh, and I just love this city and you know my favorite radio shows here.
0: Well, who does it?
1: Uh, this, you, you know guys, Fisher this and like, Todd retired, don't you? Uh, what is it? Bob and Kelly and, <laughs> and they, yeah, they And <laughs> It's, 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 it's the Radio uh, From Hell Show on X96. Is. Oh, that's the one. That's yeah.
0: the one, yeah. Uh, okay, that's it for the uh, Let's Go Eat show, uh, the podcast that we do that I can never remember to promote on my regular radio show. Uh, but uh, thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. Thanks, Thank to, you, Dylan. Thanks to Zest. Thanks to my guest, Charlie Halford. I uh, uh, guess that's it. Uh, remember, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double.